It feels like home. It's wonderful to see so many friends out there and also to see so many friends I don't yet know, but I'd like to. In her very moving novel, Caleb's Crossing, Marilyn Robinson sums up life like this. She says that moments of joy and happiness are merely the sunshine between the shadows. For many, it's true. All of us will experience the deep shadows of suffering in our lives. All of us are born with an expiration date. Alan and I are in the stage of life where we attend more funerals than weddings. It's very sobering. In the past two months, we've lost four good friends from cancer. We have several more friends recently diagnosed or struggling with metastatic cancer. Others among us here have lost spouses, children, loved ones to accidents and other terrible diseases. Many people here live with unrelenting pain, and we all know people suffering from serious mental, emotional, and physical illness. Daily, we are bombarded with terrible news, natural disasters, religious persecution, terrorism, and senseless random acts of violence. I was just boggled by this. The latest statistics show that there are now 65.3 million refugees in the world, more than any time in history. Half of those refugees are children, and 100,000 of those children have no parents. Where is God in the thick fog of suffering? We all struggle with not understanding, with not knowing what God is doing in these situations. We long for answers. Why me? What did I do? Or what did they do or not do that makes them suffer the way that they are? How can God allow children to suffer so horrifically? We seek answers that simply are not there. At times, it seems that God has hidden his face from us, and we cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? What are we then to do? Where do we turn? How can we find God in the fog? Brilliant young neurosurgeon Paul Kalanithi tells of his reaction when diagnosed with terminal lung cancer in his poignant book, When breath becomes air, he went from being the doctor, as he said, the pastoral figure aiding a life transition, to being a patient. He said, I found myself the sheep, lost and confused. Severe illness wasn't life-altering. It was life-shattering. It felt less like an epiphany, a piercing burst of light illuminating what really matters, and more like someone had just firebombed the path before me. I was physically debilitated. My imagined future and my personal identity collapsed, and I faced the same existential quandaries my patients faced. I've been there. Have you? In our Bible reading today, Jesus addresses the issue of suffering. Jesus was nearing the end of his life, and he was actively preparing his disciples for what was to come. But they were having a terrible, hard time understanding him. They kept asking him, what do you mean? In fact, we read that many disciples had fallen away because Jesus spoke of such hard things. In our reading for today, the 12 disciples finally get it. 
John 16, verses 29 through 35. They said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The message puts it this way, in this godless world you will continue to experience difficulties. The first thing to understand about suffering is this. Because we are a broken people, living in a broken world, suffering is inevitable. Now, I know you've heard that probably hundreds, maybe thousands of times in your life. But somehow it doesn't really sink in until we or someone that we dearly love is suffering something far beyond our control. Some suffering is brought on as consequences of our own actions, but much of it is not. I wish I could tell you this morning that if you just believe in Jesus, everything in your life will turn out wonderfully. That would be a lie. There is no such thing as a perfect spouse. There are no perfect children, no perfect jobs, no perfect churches. There is no perfect life. Relationships painfully fail, sometimes never to be reconciled, even when we long to have them reconciled. Unexpected losses occur, and we are left to deal with them. Suffering forces us to come to grips with what we really believe. We live in a time and culture that avoids talking about hard things, even in the church. We pretty much avoid talking about death and end-of-life issues because acknowledging them means we have to face our own uncertainty, our own vulnerability, and admit to how little control we have over our lives. However, avoiding such discussion really hurts those who are lonely, dispossessed, and desolate, both within the church and without. It's really interesting. Sociologists recently did a comprehensive study of the religious beliefs of teens, and they discovered five things. Listen carefully to what they discovered. Number one, Religious teens believe in a creator God who orders the world and watches over human life on earth. So far, so good. Secondly, they believe God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Thirdly, they believe the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Fourth, God doesn't need to be particularly involved in our lives except when there are problems. And five, good people go to heaven when they die. When you really think that through, it's quite shocking. What are we doing in the churches to our young people? What are we teaching them? The prosperity gospel says God wants you to have an abundant life now. That means stuff, things Status. Somewhere we've lost the central truth of the gospel that we need a savior. 
that we need Jesus to mediate the alienation between us and God. We forget that we need the Holy Spirit on a minute-by-minute, day-by-day basis to empower us to good action. This is not the view of Scripture. This kind of view reduces God to a divine butler or a cosmic therapist rather than to one who is in an intimate relationship and interacting with his covenant people. I dare say that many Western Christians really don't expect to suffer. Somehow our theology's gotten screwed up. Somehow we feel we're entitled to a good income and a good life, and if we just obey God's will, we will have some obstacles in life, but God will take care of those, and we won't deal with senseless tragedy. We think that we deserve good retirements and a long life. We need to talk to Charlene Bossman, whose husband Tim was so brutally murdered over a truck. In her interview last week with the CBC, after the verdict of life imprisonment for the men who killed her husband, the interviewer was asking, probing a little bit about how she had handled things so well through this time. And she asked her something about her faith, and Charlene said, God didn't do this, and we didn't deserve this. Evil simply exists in the world. We need to reread the book of Job, who even Satan admitted was a righteous man who followed God wholeheartedly. And yet Job lost everything and was never told the reasons why. The book of Job certainly gives us a lot of answers, a lot of wrong answers that human beings came up with to explain suffering. But the problem of evil is simply beyond the limits of our understanding. In this world, you will have trouble. I have told you this so that in me you might find peace. Job had to come to the point of recognizing and acknowledging that God was God and he was not. We too have to acknowledge that God is God and we are not. We cannot see the world through God's eyes. We cannot put our arms around God's perspective with our limited understanding. We cannot understand or figure out the sovereign God who knows all, sees all, rules over all, and has a plan for us and for this world. And the creator of the world is not our debtor. He doesn't owe us anything. Everything good that we have comes from the hands of our God as a gift, as a gift of grace. So then what are we supposed to do when we're confronted with the reality of suffering in our own lives? If God doesn't just fix us, where do we turn? We can turn away from God, but then where shall we go? Hope in anything or anyone else other than God leads us only to the depths of despair and into darkness. Charlene Bosma and Job turned toward God. After all the struggling they did in the reality of their own pain and their terrible losses, Charlene and Job and the saints throughout the ages have sought comfort in the arms of their loving Savior. After these many disciples had left Jesus because his teaching was too hard, Jesus asked the twelve if they also wanted to leave. Peter said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Yes, suffering is inevitable. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says this, 
we can ignore God in our pleasures. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In our suffering, where can we go but to the Lord? The second thing to know about suffering is that God provides a way to find him in the fog. We can't find him on our own. We cannot break through the fog to find God, but God breaks through to us. We need the Holy Spirit's help to find him. One of God's greatest gifts to us is the gift of prayer. Todd Billings is a brilliant young theologian who is struggling with incurable multiple myeloma. In his book, Rejoicing in Lament, he says this, Prayer is a divinely ordained means of living in fellowship with God and each other. We pray in response to God's word of promise, the promise to be our God. Prayer brings us into God's story. We are characters in God's drama. We are characters in God's drama. The world doesn't revolve around us. Thus we pray our Father as people whom the Spirit has united to Christ, as adopted children of the covenant. This promise is centered in God's loving kindness as it is embodied in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the covenant in person. God doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but he loves us and promises to be with us always. Again, Jesus said, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. You are not alone. And the more we are engrafted into Christ, the more we can be assured that we will not be alone no matter what we face in life. God wants us to come to him in our trouble. The prayer language of the Psalms encourages us to bring to him every lament. Lament. To lament means to grieve and to mourn, and the psalmist's prayer becomes our own. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. There are more psalms of lament in the psalms than any other kind. God encourages us and gives us words with which to bring all of our emotions to him. They invite us to bring our fear, our anger, our tears, our questions, our doubts, and our unbelief in God. Todd Billings talks about the agony of not knowing how long he will live. He longs to see his children grow up. But in his sadness and uncertainty, he also shares the importance of lament. He shares how we long to be seen by God, to be seen and to be known. There's nothing automatic about trusting and hoping in God. Part of our lament when we come to God with our sorrow is that we feel forgotten by God. Part of the scariness in thinking about our own deaths is the fear that we will be be forgotten and remembered no more. Before we are willing to put our trust in God, we want to make sure that he will remember us. But there's also another element in lament. Lament is also a form of protest. It's a form of petition. 
In our Lent, we take God on. We seek to take God to court, to make our case, to complain that he's not living up to his promises. The psalmist throws God's promises back at him and begs for deliverance. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? God's covenant children are invited to be totally, totally honest with him. However, a strange thing happens when we cry out to God for deliverance and mercy. Something changes in us and we end up finding a deeper relationship and a deeper trust in God in the midst of our tears. We end up experiencing hope in the fulfillment of his promises. God uses prayer that moves toward trust in his promise to change us. Severe crisis brings us into a deeper, more authentic relationship with Jesus, who when he became flesh in his incarnation, took on bodily pain and suffering and death to empty them of their ultimate sting. And he did that for us, for you and for me. The third thing to know about suffering is that suffering can bring about transformation in our lives. Last Christmas, I talked with Mark, a 51-year-old husband and father of two young children who recently lost his life to a glioblastoma, a brain tumor. We had been at Emmaus Road Church, the church we started with our son Eric, when Mark first became a new Christian and had watched him develop into a wonderful leader in the church. He was a phenomenal guitar player, and he was the head of their their worship at the church. And I asked Mark what this cancer journey had been like for him. He said, I hate the cancer. I hate what it's doing to me. It's so hard. But he said, God has revealed himself to me in a depth that I could not have experienced any other way. And he said, I would not give up knowing God like this for anything. In Romans 5, we read, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I think one of the hard things about suffering is that we know our own sin. We know our own guiltiness. We know our need of a Savior. And we can't somehow believe that God could possibly love us if he knows everything about us the good, the bad, and the ugly. But the thing that's different about God is that God's love is never changing. God doesn't love us when we're good and not love us when we're bad. God loves us all the time. God doesn't love us just when we do what he wants us to. God loves us all the time. His love is consistent. His love is never failing. His love is always there. And suffering focuses us on our values and on what's important in our life. 
In some ways, it narrows our focus because the things that once seemed important to us no longer matter. What matters are our relationship with God, our family, our friends. What matters is not the work that we did, the status that we had. What matters is those people who have meant so much in our lives. Steve Hayner was a pancreatic cancer victim. He was the former director of InterVarsity and the president of Columbia Theological Seminary. A couple of years ago, he got this terrible diagnosis, and he knew that he wasn't going to recover. And during his illness, he authored a book called Joy in the Journey, where he shares what he learned in the last months of his life. Steve said, the first thing you learn is that when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you really need. What is my only comfort? That I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Steve said, I discovered that it was Christ who gives meaning and security to my life, not anything else. Only in Jesus can we find abundant life, and we can never lose that when we are grafted into him. Steve said, the second thing I learned is that as long as I have life on earth, even when I was dying, because he did die, even while dying, I have a call. My call is to follow Jesus. Now, somewhere along the line, we've kind of lost sight of what that means. Following Jesus was never for wimps. Following Jesus always involved the same things that Jesus went through, suffering and self-sacrifice. And Steve said, I am called to love the way that he loved. I am called to listen ongoing to the Holy Spirit as long as I have breath. I am called to be obedient still to God's command. And the hardest one of all, I am called to acknowledge him as Lord and to submit to his will. His will be done. His kingdom come. Steve said, the third thing I learned is that God will never give up his work to transform me into the likeness of Jesus in my thoughts, my attitudes, and my behaviors. He and his wife kind of wrote this book together, and and it was so interesting to read their perspective. Cancer or any illness or any tragedy is a terrible thing in our lives, but they said they felt that God had been preparing them all their lives for something like this because they had trusted in him all along. And now when they needed it, he was there, and that trust was there. Steve said, God loves us way too much to give up on us. He will use every circumstance in our life, including our suffering, to draw us closer to Jesus. And the fourth thing that Steve learned is that joy in life is not about our circumstances, but rather it's about being held and sustained by God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love, not suffering, not want, not abundance, not sin, Nothing can separate us from God's love. If there's one thing we can trust, it is God's love through Christ Jesus. Here's a sure thing this morning. On your stake, 
on which you can stake your faith and your life. I don't know what each one of you is going through. I know that there are people at Christ's community who are suffering. I know that you've recently loved or lost a beloved member, Ron Martin, a beloved member of this church, someone we knew when we were here many years ago. I know that some of you suffer from emotional distress or mental stress. I know that some of you are lonely. But there is one sure thing on which you can stake your faith in your life. If you or a loved one are in the fog of suffering right now and that fog seems impenetrable, put your hope in Jesus. Call out to him in your anger, in your fear, in your angst, and ask him to deliver you. He promises that he will carry you to safety in this life and in the next And then you too and I will say, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as people who are fragile. We come to you this morning as people who know our own brokenness. We come to you as people with sometimes screwed up theology and values. We come to you as people who are suffering from mental stress, emotional stress, and severe physical illness. And we ask you, to be true to your promises, to be our God. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come into our hearts again today with the reminder that you are with us not only always, but that we can have peace in knowing that you are with us. We pray that you would help us to follow your ways every day and every moment of our life. We pray, Lord, that where it is hard for us to submit to your will and your ways, you would break down our stubbornness and you would let us come with open arms into the arms of the Father who loves all equally. We thank you that you do not get swayed, but that your love goes on forever. And we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who has not yet experienced your love, that they would be drawn to you to see if your promises are true. Father, we know that all of us will go through hard times in our lives, and we lay those at your feet. Like Job, we say, who are we to question you? You are the sovereign Lord over all. Thank you for the gifts of your grace. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for the prayer that goes up here for those who are suffering. Thank you for those who have found a family here, people with whom to connect on a deep level, people who are willing to share their lives, who are willing to try to help to carry their burdens. And Lord, may no one leave this place today thinking that they are alone. All this we pray in your precious name. Amen.